Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Greetings and welcome to Hell. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and because Ash is my tag team partner, I always know what he's thinking. Ah, but without the mask, I'm just another competitor, Luke. I'm just another wrestler. But with the mask, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 6th of December 1994. FIFA 95 remains top of the gaming charts. Baby D's Let Me Be Your Fantasy is also top of the pops. But we have a new box office number one with Highlander 3, The Sorcerer. From the dawn of time we came, moving silently among you, immortals. Throughout the ages, he has traveled through time. Fulfilling the prophecy that there can be only one. But the ultimate evil has found him. His name is Cain. Highland is out there somewhere, and he owes me 400 years. One is a master of the sword. I know who you are. You're Connor McLeod, born into the clan McLeod. The other, a master of illusion. Some say he's the devil himself. Two enemies from another time are about to collide in this one. Subtitled, Islander 3, the second film never fucking happened. The ozone layer still exists. Brenda Wyatt died in a car crash. It, it's fine. Two never happened. Highlander is a pop culture uh, um, black spot for me, I would say, in terms of I have seen the first one once and that is it. I've seen the first one quite a few times, partly because killer soundtrack. I mean, it's, it's yeah. got Queen through and through. It's a kind of magic, Luke. Second one, mm. then there's the third one, which is better. 
really it, it is just a case of i i saw the first one it, and i saw it in my 20s um actually my late 20s in fact was the first time i saw it and i thought it was fine like it, it, i didn't i didn't love it i didn't hate it i was like yep yeah, that is that's okay i have never been one to uh, aboard the highlander train of just like oh it's fucking brilliant and sean connery's doing the accent and this and the other like it's never really done it for me it's got the infamous thing of you've got lambert playing or lambert playing a scotsman you've got a scotsman playing a spaniard and then you've got clancy brown just stealing the goddamn show anyway we have the second one which involves aliens ozone layers and it doesn't matter because it's ignored so we don't even have to go into it then we get the third one which involves a new villain a powerful sorcerer known as Kane. that's gotta be Kane. that's gotta be Kane with the boom and the fire it also skips around in time a bit we go to the 16th century we go to the 18th century and then we find ourselves in the 20th century in new york but they don't spend too long in new york as a setting at least they do return to scotland but whilst they did apparently revisit some of the locations in Scotland from the first film, they also made hefty use of Quebec. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, Canada is cheap to film. It just ask Jason Takes Manhattan. Guess where they filmed the New York scenes, Luke? I'm going to assume that they were filming it in Vancouver. Montreal, actually. Which surprised me. I would have thought they'd have picked Vancouver because Vancouver is always the double for New York because it looks exactly the same. Maybe it was booked. Good pin, yeah. Do you imagine that? You go to film in Vancouver and they're like, oh, sorry, we're, we're double booked. Yeah, yeah. There's other stuff being filmed here trying to look like New York City. Anyway, it wasn't the most expensive film to make. It also didn't exactly set the box office alive. It brought in about $37 million worldwide. But it was also dealing with the albatross that was the second movie. And you know what? If you're going to watch the Highlander movies and you get a box set, you may as well just burn through them. Watch the second one. It's like Season of the Witch with Halloween. It's not part of the main timeline. It doesn't really exist in the future films. It's kind of its own little oddball thing. But if you go one, sidestep to two, and then go back to the one universe with three, and then it gets a bit more kind of director video after that. But, you know, the Highlander movies, they can be kind of fun. Yeah, as I said, I thought the first one was was fine. And I, I, I appreciate that people very much like the there can only be one and all this sort of stuff. It's, it didn't really do much for me. If I was in my 20s, I probably would still do now that I'm in, you know, uh, pushing into my late 30s. I don't know if I'll ever find the time to <laughs> sit down and watch the whole series. Mate, do some sleepless nights soon. You're going to be looking for stuff to fill time uh, with. I mean, maybe. Maybe if I, I'll get that desperate, I'll actually go through the Highlander series. You'll have a small child that just doesn't want to sleep. Oh, yeah, for t- frame of reference for people, uh, we are <laughs> yeah. now at the two days after Luke told everyone that he's going to be Big Daddy Luke. D-A-D. D-A-D. We can now actually refer to it on the podcast because I think I've mentioned it a couple of times and then I've had to edit myself out. Yeah, it's been weird, hasn't it? Because I have like, I've been thinking about this when we've been recording and I've known that we're recording episodes that will have come out after we'd have made the announcement. I was like, I'm still not going to say anything yet, though. I'm going to wait until we've actually done the announcement. But like, you know, by the time you've heard episode nine of this show, the news will have been out there. But yeah, back to my point. You're going to have a small child that's just not going to want to sleep and you're going to be trying pacifiers you're going to be trying kind of like resting them on your shoulder you're going to try soothing music you might try metal music that works for some babies and at some point you may just reach a level where you're like fuck it highlander i was going to say because otherwise i'll end up doing what i usually do which is like i'm going to start watching the star wars films again and then i watch episode one and be like why do i have to why does my brain make me start from here why can't i just jump to four 
maybe this will be the time where I actually watch through the Star Wars movies again in order and I actually get past episode three to the ones that I want to watch. Or you'll get to episode three and you'll be like, maybe I should give Highlander another go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, it can't be any worse than watching fucking Attack of the Clones again. We could talk about the TV world. We could talk about the music world. But Ash, there's really one key thing that we need to be talking about for this week that this episode aired. Because on December 3rd, over in Japan, the PlayStation was released in stores. Sold 100,000 units on its first day, 2 million units within its next six months. But by the end of 1994, the Sega Saturn was outselling it. Virtual Fighter is basically the reason why the Saturn outsold the PlayStation in that first month. I also do wonder, in addition to the game, was there a little bit of, well, we know Sega versus Sony, who were known quantity as a consumer electronics company, but video games, not so well known there. It's a similar problem to what Microsoft had with the launch of the Xbox that Microsoft still have with the launch of the Xbox. But now they've just kind of gone, well, we're not going to try and market ourselves as hard to Japanese gamers. They did try a bit more with the Series X. But, you know, they're like, well, no, we can survive actually quite happily on the European North America. Well, basically the rest of the world. The Western market is their area, really. And I think that kind of Sony, I think, occupy a very similar space. But they have also got that Japanese market now. And, you know, they eventually, I think they did outsell the, the Saturn eventually because... They got all the good titles later on while the Sega Saturn sort of floundered. And yeah, I, I think it's interesting in hindsight that the Sega Saturn did as well as did out the gates. And I think you're right. And I think that is down to reputation of Sega first off. Because we had the feature on the PlayStation a couple of episodes ago, well, last week's episode, in fact, where they were talking about, you know, the game that is released. Here is what the game's lineup is. But really, the only game that matters is Ridge Racer. And I think things like that really factored in to uh, the Sega Saturn outselling it in 94. Yeah, I mean, we get a feature on the Saturn launch lineup in a couple of episodes' time, which is kind of weird because the Saturn launched first, but we got the feature on the PlayStation first. Uh, with the Saturn as well, because like, we had the Virtual Fighter thing where like the import copy was coming in, they went round to that lad's house and filmed it in his flat with like the terrible orange lighting and things like that. And I think like next week's feature that we get is less about like here is the launch lineup. It's more a case of like here was the launch lineup, but here's like the really exciting games that are coming out for it. And when I say exciting, Clockwork Night is coming out for it. And that's actually a game that you will want to be playing. It's so interesting as well that like next week, they start to dog on Virtua Fighter a little bit after, you know, only a couple of weeks ago being like, man, you've got to see this game. I mean, you say they, Dom starts to dog on Virtua Fighters. Well, the reason why I say a they is because I feel like, like Dom has said himself, this is his show now. Johnny Finch may be the producer, Jane Hewlett may be the executive producer, but he, this is his show, and he's like the lead creative force behind this. He's the one making the calls, and that's moving it away from challenges into the news features and stuff. It's a royal they, I suppose, which is unfair because Dom has been pushing forward that FIFA on the 3DO is the greatest football game ever. But the review we got of it a couple of weeks ago was like, yeah, it's all right. I mean, we look at the Japanese launch lineup for the PlayStation, and realistically, yeah, it's Ridge Racer, although... I would also give some love to the Parodius pack because I do like Parodius. Again, what we're looking at here, particularly when we are talking about Games Master and their coverage of this and sort of like the uh, hindsight coverage of it, is that they're after new games as opposed to repackaged old games. As you know, what they were saying about the three, uh, the 32X being like, they're just releasing Afterburner and Space Harrier again. Yeah. Welcome to hell. No. We get a lot of bad press down here, but we're not just here for the nasty things in life, like a block drain. And while we can't help you find a train for your boring dad or some 
superactive video transfers for some old bird living in the past, we can guarantee you entry into the fun club. I mean, this podcast doesn't really get a lot of bad press, but still, it's also not all that bad. It is a guaranteed entry into a fun club. I mean, when I think of Hell, the biggest issue I think Hell has is his public image. I think Dom's doing some very, very good work here. And I did love how this is essentially a spoof on the old Yellow Pages adverts. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you remember Yellow Pages, those big old books? Why did we always have three or four of them? Why did we always have at least four years worth, Luke? I'm assuming your household was like mine and people never threw them away. Oh, yeah. We had all of the Yellow Pages. I used to work for the Yellow Pages, in fact. Um, one of my first uh, quote-unquote proper jobs was working for the Yellow Pages. But by that point, they themselves were moving away from your phone book because the internet exists and they were building websites for people. And that was part of the launch project that they did called Yell Sites. Uh, and, you know, and that actually got me, that was kind of like my first stepping stone into the career that I currently have now. So without Yellow Pages, we would not be here talking today. There's every chance that it may not have happened. I always remember my gran had so many old yellow pages. They, they were the phone table, essentially. And it just got taller and taller because every year you got a new one. And then you had the Thompson, the Thompson local, which was your, your more local version. Yeah, we had a Thompson local uh, with us as well. But the yellow pages are one that I remember. Also, the yellow pages ones are the ones with the adverts that you remember as well. The J.R. Hartley. No luck, Dad. Never mind. There's still a few more to try. Good old yellow pages. We don't just help with the nasty things in life, like a blocked drain. We're there for the nice things, too. You do? Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, can you keep it for me? My name, oh yes, it's J.R. Hartley. And the, the one that uh, was a big thing when we were kids was the um, the one where the, the kid wants to kiss the girl under the mistletoe, but he can't quite oh, reach her. Yeah. So he goes and gets the book to, to stand on and stuff. Good old yellow pages. I remember that because there was a kid at my school who was a bit shorter than everyone else. Everyone used to take the piss out of him being like, oh, mate, you need to get your yellow pages out so you can kiss the girl. It was very funny at the time. In hindsight, a bit cruel. Oh, oh, incredibly cruel. But he was also uh, a bit of a bully himself. So, you know, it's, not, it's nice to have a... It's nice to be able to see the bullies also get taken, out, taken the mick out of. Ah, if he was a bully, fuck <laughs> him then. <laughs> I did like a nice little bit of work from the goblins here. Although clearly, I think this line was fairly last minute because they didn't have a yellow pages to go through or they weren't allowed to use a yellow pages because what they're actually doing is rifling through the classified ads in the back of a local paper. Well, from one yellow thing to a different kind of yellow thing, we've got our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? My first challenge is on Bomberman 2 for the Super Nintendo. As in the previous Bomberman, we'll see our intrepid contestants attempting to send the best laid plans of their opponents up in smoke. As usual, each player begins with the ability to drop just one bomb, but may power himself up by picking up the icons around him. It couldn't be simpler. I thought we were getting a bit personal there. <laughs> yeah, we're playing Super Bomberman 2. What a fabulous little game to play up a challenge on because we haven't remarkably not had a lot of Bomberman on Games Master thus far. Obviously, we had it as Dino Blaster back in uh, Series 2 with Take That with poor old Gary Barlow being screwed. But this is, I find this incredible because we've got four people playing this challenge, three regular folk and one giant Bomberman. But it's not a four-way challenge it is three separate one-on-one -on -one challenges 
Which makes me think that this is an early review copy of the game. The whole point of Bomberman is it's a multiplayer thing. I mean, I did think that, but it was released in Japan in April of 1994. It was released in America a bit later. It wasn't that much later. And it made it to Europe in February. But even if it was like an early version of the PAL release, there's not going to be that much of an issue. Yeah, because if it's out early 94, like if we're thinking they're filming this June, July sort of time, they might have been able to get it on Japanese imports. They probably would have. Yeah. I mean, they, they've certainly not been above using import games, as I'm uh, sure we'll get to even more in the future. I honestly reckon it was a case of they were getting some cross-promotion, they needed to use this poor bastard in a golden Bomberman suit, and they thought the best way to get value for money on this is to have it as a series of single challenges, because it means they're actually going to get probably more footage to use than if they'd just done one four-player rumble. Because particularly in four-player rumbles, you always get someone that blows themselves up right at the beginning. Maybe they thought by doing one-on-one challenges, there was actually a better chance of them getting a winner. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that in, in a short while. But yeah, I, I, was, I was thinking that while I was watching it, because this is a two-challenge episode that we get here, and this first half of the show is like so predominantly based around Bomberman that it maybe it did make more sense uh, from a commercial perspective uh, standpoint that to do the the three separate challenges but it's just so weird considering that whenever and we get dom talking about Bomberman in a couple of episodes time when talking about that's a good game to get for christmas his whole thing is like dude you want to play on multiplayer four player get the multi-tap that's the way to really enjoy this game so it's just it's just really weird way of like trying to sell the game by being like here is the basic way you could be playing the game there's also a really fun way to play it but we won't show you that maybe they couldn't find the multi-tap <laughs> that's what it came down to they sent someone down rumbelows couldn't find one you know they went down to computer exchange in rathbone place which we see in a couple of episodes time man that brought back some memories couldn't find one there so they're like ah sod it we're just gonna have to go with one-on-one challenges you, you want to talk about optics my favorite optic of this entire thing is this guy in a bomberman costume with a snes controller glued to his paw it's so funny it's amazing. Like, I, so I talked about this challenge a few episodes back uh, when we, in terms of our recording schedule because I was playing Blood on the Clock Tower while I was watching it for the first time. Like, it was during the night phase, I was uh, watching this episode. And there's this giant bomber man sat there and he's got his golden pour out and this SNES pad. It's an American SNES pad as well, like uh, glued to his hand. And I took a little screenshot of it and I shared it in like the Discord thing that we used to chat and stuff. Everyone just like, how's that Bomberman even playing this? He cannot reach across to play to press all of those buttons. He's holding an American joypad. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, he's, he's definitely holding an American SNES pad. That shows they were playing the American import version if they kept their consoles grouped together. They had to be. Mystery solved, <laughs> potentially. But only part of the mystery because... If the dude in the Bomberman suit is actually playing this, he's taken his arms out of the Bomberman arms and has them kind of curled inside the body of the Bomberman costume and is peering out of a neck hole. My assumption was there was someone off screen from the crew that was playing on behalf of Bomberman. And then they just had the uh, a pad not plugged into anything glued to his hand. I would have put money on it being Dave Perry, but Dave Perry's doing color commentary. Uh, to be honest, talented guy like Dave Perry, Luke, he could do both. <laughs> he probably could do. He's actually, he's just got a tiny Dave Perry underneath his bandana that's actually playing it for him, operating him like he's Ratatouille. Or like the alien in Men in Black. 
Mm, is exactly it, yeah. And here to play the challenge, we have David Bradley, Matthew Hayden, and Charles Berry. <laughs> now, David, uh, what, what's your two favourite films of all time? Um, I like Bloodsport and oh, Oliver's Alright. Two very similar films there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Matthew, what do you like to do in your spare time? I do martial arts. Uh -huh. Can you show us any of the... A little quick one? Um, not with my jeans on. Not with your jeans on. Okay, fair enough, we'll accept that. And finally, Charles Berry. Charles, anyone call you Chuck? No? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes. And what do you like to get up to when you're not playing games? Disco skating. Disco skating? Whereabouts this? In uh, Hull. In Hull. Everybody in Hull, do they all go down? Yes, most people. Well, talking of ice skating, uh, this is Bomberman, and this is who you'll be playing tonight. Because we've got our players, we've got David, Matthew and Charles, but to be honest, they're the less important people here. We've got a big fuck off golden bomber man that's playing this game, and he's got these wicked like animatronic eyebrows and things like that. It's really, really cool. I love how they do introduce our three challengers, uh, David, Matthew, and Charles, and everyone completely ignores this, this quite frankly terrifying mascot costume just loitering behind them with a blank expressionless face. I've never mentally likened the Bomberman character to Michael Myers until now. He's just loitering in the background like the shape. It's quite unnerving. We've got a bit of a sort of martial arts connection between some of our players here as well, because David's, uh, one of his favourite films is Bloodsport. Matthew does martial arts, but won't show it off because he's wearing jeans. A classic excuse for not showing off your martial arts techniques. Clearly, he needs some Chuck Norris karate action jeans. Have you ever seen those? I have not, no. They were kind of stretch fit, boot cut jeans, and they had a special hidden gusset. Ooh. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm going to send you the advert. Won't bind your legs. Yeah, developed by Chuck Norris for stunt fighting in action movies, these great-looking Western-style jeans have a unique hidden gusset, <laughs> which allows greater movement without binding or ripping. I actually misread that at first as without blinding. I was like, bloody hell, what are they doing? Satisfaction guaranteed, Luke, and they can be yours on a price reduction for only $19.95. That is an absolute bargain right there. Also an excellent moustache being sported by Mr. Norris. Yeah, so if only this young kid had his action gusset jeans, you know, we'd have had a martial arts demonstration on Games Master. That would have been pretty cool. But let's go back to the kid with the movies because he lists his two favourite movies. Bloodsport. An excellent, excellent choice. It's one of my favourite Van Damme films. And Oliver. Now, he had to have said that for a gag, right? I mean, I don't know. Oliver, it's, it's an evergreen film. It's always popular. More. You know, <laughs> we've made reference to it ourselves on this very podcast. But that's a Friday night double feature. Yeah, oh yeah. I don't know which one you put first. <laughs> I'm guessing Oliver. Oliver needs to go first. You've got to build your way up to Bloodsport. Yeah, I would say so. And the final kid that we have, Chuck... Now, I, I was trying to work out if I was mishearing this or if, I, uh, if I'm just you know, bad at doing this. But I thought at first he said that he did disco skating in Hull. And at the end, Dominic says that he's doing ice skating. So was he, did he say ice skating? Because I could have sworn he said disco skating. I thought he said disco skating. In fact, I had it down that he said disco skating. Dom did say ice skating. I suppose the two are not mutually exclusive. I mean, I think of disco skating as like roller disco, but is there any reason it couldn't be disco on ice? I mean, there's absolutely not. No, I just, I, yeah, like you, when I had disco skating, I was thinking 1970s roller disco, that sort of caper. 
and you know, it was it had a bit of a comeback in the nineties. I went to a fair few roller disco parties. I just checked Hull Arena, which has an ice skating rink, does have disco sessions even today. Well, there so you go. maybe it was both. Maybe Dom had the inside track on the whole nightlife scene and knew the disco skating was ice skating. Hull Arena, by the way, a first-class ice skating venue committed to catering to the interests of all comers. I'm after some sponsorship, Luke. <laughs> the release of Bomberman 2 has seen those big-headed bomb tossers making something of a comeback. Nowhere more so than Japan, where the country is in the grip of Bomberman mania, a condition exacerbated by a daily diet of these bizarre but strangely irresistible ads. <laughs> Well, clearly there is some level of sponsorship around here because Bomberman 2 also leads our news here to talk about how exciting it is that it's uh, it's to Bomberman mania has taken over Japan. Now, you'll have heard some audio here. You'll probably hear a bit more audio. And I think most people check out the episodes before they listen to our podcast about it. Yeah, thanks, Matty. Thank you, Matty, who's running it as part of his Sunday night stream. Very much appreciated. If for some reason you don't, Get your ass to YouTube, and even if you just watch the news section, watch these commercials. They are the most Japanese. They are amazingly just weird, but weird in a way that I love. They are utterly charming. There's some kind of uh, Sentai Kamen Rider-esque characters in it, plus Bombermen running around, speeding on boats, doing all sorts of shenanigans. None of them have a SNES pad stapled to their hand, but, you know, they're getting up to plenty of other antics. I mean, there's not much more to say than that. It is literally going, we're playing Bomberman 2 in Japan, Bomberman is massive business, QED. It felt a little bit like the, and this was very prominent in the 90s and actually into the 2000s as well. Ooh, look how wacky Japan is. Look how different it is to what our, to what we do, to the way we do adverts. It's had a little bit of that to it. But do you know what? I, I, I love seeing Japanese adverts because I, I love how they just embrace these sorts of things. And, and I, it's great to have been able to see this because like, you know, as a, at this point, where are we? 1994, nine-year-old child. I'm actually going to be turning nine in, a, in a, about a week or so time in our own timeline that we're hearing currently. Oh, happy birthday, man. Thank you kindly. In fact, actually, next week's episode takes place the day before my ninth birthday. So, like... I don't have time to get you a card. <laughs> eight-year-old me. This would have been, like, some of my first time seeing Japanese adverts on telly. That's great. I continue to love it to this day. Japan still does really weird commercials. And to be honest, they do commercials better than we do. Oh, absolutely, they do. When I was over in Japan a few years back, I was in a hotel room uh, and my wife went for a shower and I was like, do you know what? I'm not going to understand a one single thing that's on the telly, but I am just going to put the telly on just to sort of, so I can get a, a feeling for it. It'd been the first time and only time I've been able to watch Japanese telly proper. Uh, and it was great. With the worldwide advertising campaign in full progress, Sega are claiming they're already more 32Xs in British homes than Jaguars and 3DOs combined. The latest batch of 32X games in development include Metalhead, which involves stomping around in an armoured robot blowing things up.
motocross championship is a sort of motocross championship type game, bizarrely. Hey! Hello, I'm Fred Couples. And this is 32X Golf, which includes all the shooting action one associates with the sport. Our next news item here has an incredible... Do you believe this line? That there are more 32Xs in UK homes than the Jaguar and the 3DO combined? Because part of me does believe that's the case. I'm not sure I do believe this, because while I couldn't find exact details, I know that together, the 3DO worldwide sold more than the 32X and Jaguar combined. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I don't have any information for this time frame, but I can tell you that by the first half of 95, 35,000 32Xs had sold in the UK and 10,000 units had been sold in Germany. But that's in the first half of 95. That's still a good six months away. When I first heard it, I was like, balderdash, don't believe that in the slightest. Because the 32X has only just come out while the Jaguar and the 3D have been around for a little while in, in our timeline in the UK. But anecdotally, I have met in my lifetime four or five people that had a 32X at the time, but I've never met anyone that had a 3DO or a Jaguar at that period of time. So I'm only going by anecdotal evidence there. I mean, it could be that just the 32X did launch at the right time to hit a Christmas rush, but other people... I mean, that's the thing, I suppose... I reckon the 3DO was going to older games players than the 32X. Agreed. Because it was going the multimedia, the, the all-in-one player route. People were getting MPEG decoder cards for it. And, you know, it, it was it was kind of going for more the home hub route in addition to its gaming. And you needed the money for it as well because it wasn't cheap. Even if they had sold more combined in the UK than the 3DO and the Jaguar combined, worldwide, it was the other way round. And really... It didn't make a damn a difference. It was shit. Yeah, pretty much. We do, however, see what I reckon is the most impressive 32X game they've shown to date that is an original IP. Yeah, this Metalhead thing looks like it's pretty good. It's it's amazingly... I remember when I was working at GameStation uh, and the Wii came out, we got a sizzle demo reel for the Wii that we were like playing like the shop and stuff. And that had a game on there that was very similar looking to Metalhead. And it is for my money, because we've only got three games out in the, on the 32X currently in our timeline. This looks like it might be one of the better ones. It did so-so. Let's just give you a bit of a rundown of the score. CVG gave it 87%. Which is pretty good, going by 32X numbers thus far. Me Machine Sega gave it 87%, so I wonder, did they just copy the review? Could be. But then Mega also gave it 87%. I'm seeing some consistency across the board here. However, if we skip across the pond, EGM gave it 19 out of 40, which, you know, that's almost like an equivalent to a 50%er. For Mitsu in Japan, they gave it 26 out of 40. Again, a bit of a lower a lower bar. But GameFan back in America, 273 out of 300, just because they had to be really bloody different with their scoring metric. But it does seem like it was relatively well-received, and it's easy to see why. It's a very impressive looking game. I mean, keep in mind, we talked about Virtua Fighter 2 and one of the big differences between Virtua Fighter and Virtua Fighter 2 was the fact of, hey, there are textures mapped onto the polygons. It's not just basic geometric shapes. There's texturing. There's more differentiators than just another shape overlapped on top of another one. And Metalhead brought that to the 32X. This had a real Mech Warrior type vibe going to it. It had voice acting. There was some confusion because the box said it was a two-player game. 
It was not. That was mm. a typo. It was also a game that was designed for Sega's six-button controller. So you weren't restricted to three buttons, which I think when you're piloting a giant mech, you kind of want... If you've got different weapons on each arm, you want one for, like, your guns and another for your missiles, and maybe you want a couple of other... You know, so it makes sense. They actually did produce something quite unique, quite original, and not enough to save the console. It's so fascinating to hear you say that. Like, it was specifically designed with the six-button pad in mind, because in, in my mind space here in this point in time everyone has a six button pad and the only reason i'm saying that is because i i had a six button pad and all my friends had six button pads as well and i just kind of blows my mind that there would have to be you would have to still develop games for the three button pad because not everyone will have a six button pad yeah i mean if if a person has no interest in street fighter you don't need them like you don't need six buttons to play sonic or sonic and knuckles you don't need it like, no. but you do need you'd need the six buttons for your Street Fighters, for your Virtual Fighter, for Mortal Kombat. Outside of that, yeah, not really. On the flip side, we also see Motocross Championship, very originally titled there. And unfortunately, whilst Metalhead did do a lot to bolster the 32X, Motocross Championship did not do well. It received mixed to negative reviews. It was criticised on most all aspects of the game. And some reviews did suggest the game's quality kind of impacted the overall impression of the 32X because they were trying to sell the 32X on this game because it was a new game. It wasn't just an arcade port or a dated arcade port, as we'll get to over the next couple of episodes. It's also a bit more dynamic of a racing game than, say, virtual racing is, which is, you know, you are just going around track. This has got hills and things like that. But only useful if it's good. Exactly, yeah. And lastly, we see golf. It's golf, Luke. It's golf. Have you played a golf game? This is a golf game. It's a 32X version of a golf game. It's got 36 great holes. Diamondism. And it stars Fred Couples and is sponsored by Golf Magazine. There you go. I wonder if that has also got... It's got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life. I don't know. It definitely definitely didn't feel like it had the greatest graphics I'd ever seen. Uh, nor did it do that to most of the reviewers because it basically got mixed reviews. I imagine it was a case of, if you like your golf, You'll probably like this. Yep. If you don't like golf, you're not going to be made a fan. That's exactly what I imagine. Yeah, it, it, there's not a lot of difference to golf games as we go through the generations. Just shinier ways of playing golf. I've got lots of guys, but I want a real man. Last week, we showed you virtual girlfriend. And if that's not sad enough, a viewer has sent us in this travesty, man enough, a chatting up game. Here, I'm looking for value in a guy and you sound cheap. It's on my hard drive. Our last news item here, though, and this is, again, whether you're like, do you believe this or not? But I, I am inclined to believe this one, that a viewer sent this news item in based off the one that we had last week, which was the virtual girlfriend, to be like, have you seen this one? Which is a different type of like virtual girlfriend thing. It's a virtual chat-up sim called Man Enough. Yeah, I do believe this could have come via viewer writing because we know they were producing these news articles last minute because we've heard it from Dom that they didn't want to be beat to the punch on news, even if that news is to do with slightly skeezy dating games. Yep. We had the Saturn report, we've got breaking news, we've got footage of Ridge Racer. But yeah, then we've got this, a full motion video dating simulator. It looks better than the other one. Like If you're comparing the two of like what is the better dating sim this one is a lot more impressive. This one does not sound like the you're quite good at turning me on. You probably should ignore that. Yeah, this, <laughs> this one didn't this one didn't make me think of the Simpsons. Uh, exactly. this one 
This one just made me think of those kind of video dating kind of services. A little bit like um, there's a CDI game called Plumbers Don't Wear Ties. It's very it feels a little bit more like that. Do you know that game is getting a remastered release? I saw, yeah. But yeah, the game focuses on a dating agency called Man Enough. It's run by a woman called Jerry who assists you by popping up on the screen to give hints and evaluate your progress as you try and chat up Blair, Erin, Fawn, Kelly and Quinn. Like you, This is one where you do need to RTFM because it came with a manual that had profiles for each girls, listing their likes, their dislike, and that would help guide you in answering the various questions or indeed asking the right questions. Wrong answers brought sullen looks. Right answers brought broad smiles. Success moves the game forward, and then you repeat the same process all over again. And occasionally there are mini games. Apparently you can play paintball against Quinn. If these hadn't come out at the end of 94 and instead were at the end of 93, we would have had a gag about them in the consultation zone. Because what you've essentially just described there is, you know, almost Phoenix Wright-esque. You've got to write, you know, go through the questions to get to certain answers to get to the, you know, the next like trigger thing to get to the next group of conversation and things like that. It's also not that dissimilar to a point and click adventure game of being uh, asking the right questions to get the next thing to do the next thing. You could have done a consultation zone gag about that. Either way, it's on Dom's hard drive, Luke. I think he's talking about his penis. And help me out on bottom one is Dave Perry. Dave, grey bandana, grey blue, serious bandana for a serious challenge? It's a very serious challenge. We've got the Bomberman actually here playing. Although he's playing Golden Bomberman in the game, he won't be allowed to use the power-ups that you usually get when you are made Golden Bomberman. And as you can see, he's going to be a formidable opponent. Well, speaking of penises, Dave Perry is in the booth. You can just see, well, speaking of penises, I had exactly (laughs) the same joke. And I was thinking... Do I make this joke? You know what? I might leave it. I might rise above it. Uh, but no, thank you, Luke, for dragging us right back down. Oh, you're very welcome. I mean, I, get, I will be the Dominic Diamond of this as well, because when Dave is trying to do his very serious, here is how you play Mega Bomberman and this and the other, Dominic Diamond just pushes his glasses down the bridge of his nose to let you know, oh, I'm also taking this very seriously. I did love that. I thought that was absolutely hilarious. When you get to the actual challenge itself as well, it's funny because all three of them have the same thing where Dominic's just like, you know what? Don't worry, kids. Nothing exciting will happen at the start of this, but you've got to, you've, you've got to build the anticipation for this because you've got to clear the blocks around you first, find your items, find your little pickups and things like that. But in our first challenge here, David, crikey man, has got no urgency about him whatsoever. Golden Bomber Man is getting all sorts of icons he's getting extra bombs he's getting extra length he's getting the uh, the roller skates david is just like placing bombs very slowly around not really getting any items and in the end he gets trapped and he gets blown up i get the impression that even on the day he had not played a lot of Bomberman. he may not have played a lot of Bomberman, but also bloody hell the Bomberman does get all the luck he gets a lot of luck throughout this challenge he gets the boots he gets the glove the whole outfit i mean basically he it's interesting because dave perry says at the beginning that while he is golden Bomberman, he's not getting any of the special powers that being golden Bomberman normally gives you and then he gets all those power-ups and it's like well he may not get them to start with but within 30 seconds i don't think it would have mattered i think no matter how much he'd actually practiced or played it david's goose was still going to be cooked on this one he did get unlucky with the powers. I just think that he was dawdling a lot because you can see a, a difference in the way that Matthew uh, plays the game, who goes up next. I, I also, I guess, you, before we get into Matthew's challenge, while Dominic was sort of like, you know, dogging on Dave Perry a little bit by pulling the uh, glass down the bridge was nice to make fun of him. 
this challenge does also feature some nice camaraderie between the two of them. They both have a bit of a laugh at this, and they bond over one thing. The Bomberman suit doesn't have a real face on it. It just has some eyes. So they always make these references like, oh, look, Bomberman's loving this. Just look at that big smile on his face. He's abs- he's loving it. He's having a whale of a time. And Bomberman's loving it now. He's, he's raving, Dave. He's well excited. He can't contain himself. You can see it. Oh, my God. What an animal. <laughs> and Matthew's urgency and getting the power-ups nearly leads him to a victory here. Like he has him trapped at one point, and Bomberman just about manages to escape from it. And then, for no reason whatsoever, he stands himself in front of a bomb blast and gets himself killed. Very easily could have avoided that, but just chose not to. I reckon he thought that bomb was a power-up bomb. It was one of the icons that gives you an extra bomb. He didn't realise it was going to blow up. Maybe. I don't know, man. He's just like, yeah, for whatever reason, just he just stops. And it's a really bizarre thing. Like I wrote my letter, what a Wally. Don't know what he was thinking. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, Charles is up last. And again, we get more Dave Perry and Dominic Diamond laughing at Bomberman's lack of expression. It's just nice to see them having a bit of a, a fun time together. But in this one, it's it, it, very interesting, this last one, because they both also get the throwing power up, which means they can both start throwing bombs at each other. And Chuck gets close, but he just gets trapped. And Golden Bomberman remains undefeated. Dave Perry seemed like he had a whale of a time during that challenge. Almost as much fun as Dom had trying to get an interview out of Bomberman in the in the post-match. Now, Bomberman, what can I say? I know you're a man of few expressions, but I can tell you're burning up inside, yeah? I thought as much. Round of applause, please, for our undefeated champion, Golden Bomberman! You know, obviously, doesn't say anything. And then, because we got no good games playing out of everything, I thought Dom was going to do a plank routine and just, you know, plank, plank, plank. But instead, ask them all to give him one-word reviews, which were in order. David. Boring. Matthew. Terrible. And Chuck. Terrible. No disagreement from Dom on all those. He's like, okay, round of applause. Not not, not too big a round. Just, just a smattering, a golf clap, if you will, kind of like a tepid tepid round of applause a 32x golf clap if you will it's really like i really enjoyed this challenge it was weird that it wasn't a multiplayer thing but i think there's probably a very good reason as to why there was which we kind of already discussed but um we actually heard a little bit about this challenge in dom's last purple column because the lad who was in this suit nearly passed out like the way i mean dom sort of says you know nearly dies of heat exhaustion i think he very much nearly passed out of heat exhaustion after that second challenge so it's, you know, a fair play to the lad for, for sticking around and sticking through it. And I thought the fact that they had this giant bomber man on set made it so much more of a fun challenge had this not, had this just been, you know, three or four kids playing the game. First up, they're cute, they're wacky, they're a cartoon license. I hate them already. It's Animaniacs. The Animaniacs, they're those cute little lovable things that are on telly on Saturday mornings and you love them. Uh, now they've got their own game on the SNES and it ain't half bad. It's a cross between a race game and a platform game. There are three lanes of traffic, as it were, to run through. Um, the other Animaniacs get in your way and try to beat you to the finish line. It's definitely a kid's game, this one. There isn't much here for grown-ups, but um, I think youngsters will enjoy it lots. You can go into all these different movie areas, like the sci-fi area, which is a particular favourite of mine, as you have these facehuggers leaping onto the poor little Animaniacs' faces. It's a good game, very colourful, very nice, nicely reminiscent of the series. Nothing special, but a good game nonetheless.
this period of time in my life, I was so, so into the Spielberg-led Warner Brothers animation renaissance. Animaniacs, obviously, because we're getting it reviewed here. And I say the Steven Spielberg-led, because Spielberg was kind of like, you know, he did this and, and Tiny Toon Adventures, and it felt like he was really pushing forward the the idea of uh, Warner Brothers being a animation powerhouse that it, that it once was. Because we got Animaniacs, Tiny Toon Adventures, Sylvester and Tweety Mysteries, Freakazoid, and, and things like that. And actually, you know, and Batman the Animated Series. I absolutely loved Animaniacs. One of my favorite theme songs of all time, a theme song that still makes me laugh to this day. I really enjoyed the revival series that was on Hulu uh, last year, I think that eventually came out. I, I loved the Animaniacs at this point. I never got the game, but a friend of mine down the road, he did have the game, and I borrowed it off of him a couple of times. I don't think I ever finished it, but I very much enjoyed playing it. Standard platforming stuff, but it's the Animaniacs, and I love the Animaniacs. Same way like I enjoyed Ren and Stimpy, Stimpy's Invention. Not a great game, but I loved Ren and Stimpy, so I really enjoyed that game. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing, of course, you'd have been playing the Mega Drive version, which was, yeah, as you said, it was a standard platformer. And in fact, both of these games get reviewed in the issue of Games Master magazine that I have in front of me. But I just want to comment, God, what a grumpy guts he is, old Dom. Oh, Dom hates anything that's popular at this point, basically, isn't it? Like, if it's something that the kid's really into, he's like, well, that's shit then. <laughs> but speaking of Animaniacs, something I discovered recently via, like, a TikTok video or some such stuff that got retweeted onto my timeline is that the lyrics to Animaniacs fit the song Cool for Cats. Is it really? Come join the Warner Brothers and the Warner Sister Dot as just the fun they run around the Warner movie lot. Yeah, it, it fits Cool for Cats as well. And it's just, it's one of those musical coincidences of just having a similar rhyming cadence but um the problem is is once you unhear that similarity you can't unhear it so yeah. you're stuck with it now but this was a konami game konami did like doing their animation tie-ins at the times two games were developed separately with significantly different gameplay as we said and different storylines as well mega drive version standard platformer snes version was kind of a cross between a platformer and a racing game yeah, because it's this one, we get the SNES version reviewed here because, like, I think it's Frank O'Connor talks about some of the, the differences that you got in the style, style of gameplay. Yeah, there's kind of um, a three-layered playing field. And the idea is you're trying to get 24 pages of a script and you're racing through the levels to get it. And whichever Warner you play as, you are racing against the other two and it's not even just a straight race because they're going to do things to try and sabotage your run and you can do things in similar plus and again as is mentioned in the main review all the levels are themed on different movies and different genres much like the actual animaniacs there are jokes in there that are punching way above the age range of the people watching it like there are face huggers in the sci-fi level oh, absolutely yeah it's basically just aliens and they used to make alien jokes a lot on Animaniacs. I remember them so vividly and not understanding. Well, you know, I knew of the alien because I had seen it made fun of in a lot of Warner Brothers cartoons and stuff because Tiny Toon Adventures would do the same thing. And it wouldn't have been until like years later that I'd actually see the alien movie itself. But for me, it was just, a, you know, it's this thing that appeared in Animaniacs. Yeah, because there's the one outer space episode they do where they not only get some jokes in about Disney of like, you know, oh, I hope we haven't passed Pluto. Ah, I think we're somewhere near Goofy. I hope we haven't passed Uranus. <laughs> and then there's the line of, I thought we talked about cutting that joke. And then there's 
The most infamous joke, fingerprints. fingerprints. I found prints! No, 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 fingerprints. I don't think so. Yeah, it was a show that was like, it got so much past the centers, also so much stuff that went over its targets audience head. I, I bring this point up a lot whenever I talk about the Animaniacs. One of the lines of the theme song of Animaniacs is we have pay or play contracts. I didn't learn what a pay or play contract was until many, many, many years later through Kevin Smith Q&As. On the actual review itself, Adrian's like, well, it's not bad. Frank describes yeah. it as a cross between the platformer and a racing game. And Tim brings up the different movie themes and again mentions the facehuggers. Nothing special, but it's a good game. 80%. Like their comments there made me think this was going to be 73, 75, you know, which is like, yeah, yeah, it's all right. So it's, it's pretty good. It's not half bad. It's a good game nonetheless. I thought that would honestly be the mid 70s. It getting as high as 80 was a really nice surprise. Meanwhile, in the magazine, we'll start with the Mega Drive version, which is reviewed on the left. And whilst it draws equal on the sound, it gets 77%, which is what the SNES version also gets. Graphics are 79 compared to the SNES's 86. Gameplay, it actually scores higher. It gets 81 compared to 78 because it's easier to pick up. Lifespan, though, much lower. 74% for the Mega Drive, 84% for the SNES. And overall, it means the Mega Drive gets 78%, but the SNES matches its television counterpart review it gets 80% as well. Yeah, maybe that 78 was more in line with what I was thinking this would get. So 80% in both TV and magazine, that's a really nice surprise. The Mega Drive summary is polished and overall a nice game, but it's lacking in ideas and is just more fodder for the masses come Christmas time. You have been warned. Meanwhile, on the SNES hand, Animaniacs has all the humour of the cartoon, which is a good thing, but none of it's off the wall originality, which is not a good thing. But on balance, it's not all bad. Marcus there was the one doing the review there, Marcus Hawkins, but he's super in line with what Adrian, Tim and Frank said. I reckon, had it not been for Earthworm Jim, because spoilers for next week, although I have mentioned on this podcast before, Earthworm Jim is the game that I get for my ninth birthday in 1994 on the Mega Drive. Had it not been for Earthworm Jim and me begging my parents to get me Earthworm Jim for my birthday, I reckon I would have got this as my birthday or Christmas gifts, because I don't think I got another game for Christmas because they were bloody expensive. So I got myself Earthworm Jim. And, you know, in the long run, probably was the, the better option of the two. But I had Tasmania. That was one of the first games I got for my Mega Drive. And I think my parents would have known that I was so into the Animaniacs, they would have bought me this game. But yeah, I got Earthworm Jim instead. Next up, the greatest game in the history of the Western world, and that's official, Sensible World of Soccer. Sensible Soccer is the greatest football game of all time. And at last, we've got an update. It's not in the gameplay department, as you might expect, which is just as well because Sensible Soccer's always been perfect in the gameplay department, and I can't think of any way to improve that. What they've done with this game is to give you a whole load of management options. You can choose to be any team from anywhere, basically. Um, first division right through to the third division from England, and so forth across all of like the European continent and South America. The primary feature of this new game is that it's got a management sim in it, but you don't have to play the management side at all. This is for people who haven't got sensible soccer, really. If you've already got the original, unless you're bonkers, you probably won't want this. But there are some sensible freaks out there, and I can imagine people buying both. Brilliant soccer game, possibly the best of all time. I didn't need to get Sensible World of Soccer, though, because I had FIFA. Well, my brother had FIFA anyway, so we wouldn't have needed to get a second one. But, like, this is, you know, Dominic Diamond, it's the greatest game in the history of all mankind. 
And this is the updated version of it, which not only includes that greatest video game of all time, but also the management sim that Rick Henderson was mentioning a few weeks back in that pretty crap feature we had to end off one of the episodes. And I think they do a better job of selling it here, certainly. I like that they didn't just do, I mean, to be honest, do a FIFA, just offer us a new version with more teams. They added this entire management mode in, but didn't make it compulsory. So it was there for the diehard footballers. For everyone else, it was just an update. But what an update. They mentioned in the review, there's more teams and more players. There were 1,500 teams and 27,000 players, all of whom would have slightly different stats. Yeah, take that, FIFA. And some journalists are totally on board with Dom. Amiga Power ranked it the best game of all time in 1996. In 2004, the Amiga versions were inducted into GameSpot's list of the greatest games of all time. And in 2007, the curator for the History of Science and Technology Collections at Stanford University, together with game designers, researchers and journalists, compiled a definitive list of the 10 most important video games of all time, which included Sensible World of Soccer. And it's notable because that is the only game in the list developed in Europe. It's the only sports game in the list. And it is the most recent game in the list. Oh, that's cool. So all the other games would be from before that. So they'd be your Mario's, your Tetris's, your Donkey Kong's, your Space Invaders, your whatever. His elders and that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like they are raving about it here. 91% for Sensible World of Soccer. We've seen a lot of Sensi over our run on Games Master. I don't think we'll be seeing much more of it, unfortunately, as we move more into the FIFA era. But there's... If this is going to be our final Sensi for the show, I'm glad that we got a lovely send-off for it. Finally, if you buy any Power Rangers merchandise this Christmas, you will die a horrible death, and that is official too. As a beat-em-up, Power Ranger isn't all that bad. It's easy to play. There's only two attack buttons, and there's some nice range of special moves. The game on the Mega Drive is just absolutely rubbish. It's hardly Street Fighter, and there's just like not very many special moves. And the ones that there are, they're feeble and weak, and this deserves to be smacked around the head with a large cricket bat. It's, it's genuinely one of the worst games I have ever laid eyes on. The, the animation is awful, the graphics are terrible, the gameplay is tedious and repetitive. It is like double dragon on Valium. Our last game here doesn't have much to offer, though. Oof, one of the worst reviewed games we've had on this podcast thus far. 33%, including this noise. Man, I mean, 33% is bad enough, but to also add in the... To say that, I mean, they hate Power Rangers here. Again, it's popular with kids and they're people in their 20s. So of course, they're going to hate the things that the kids like, but they are not into this whatsoever. No, and this this was tie-in shovelware. We get the Mega Drive version here. There was a SNES version that was slightly better received. There was also a Game Boy version, a Game Gear version. There's a Sega CD version. We'll get to that in a few episodes time, however. The Nintendo versions were released by Bandai. The Sega versions were published by Sega themselves, so they only have themselves to blame in that regard. And the Green Ranger can only be played as on the Mega Drive and the Game Gear versions of the game. Go Sega. Yeah, there's a bonus. I mean, we heard this from uh, the, the making of Earthworm Jim. Sega slid some money under the table there to be like, 
yeah give us the give us the exclusive rights to the green ranger character because that's the character that everyone's into the mega drive version we see here as mentioned it's a one-on-one -on -one fighting game but they do have what they call a scenario mode which attempts to emulate what you see in the show. So first of all, you have a one-on-one -on -one match between a ranger and a regular-sized monster. Then once you've defeated the regular-sized monster, make my monster grow! And then you fight it as a zord against the exact same sprite because that's, you know, it was just the costume filmed against a different background anyway, so they, they continued with the tradition. Command T, shift and drag. Yeah, they just stretch it. Yeah. There is an unlockable if you can stomach playing through the game that much, because originally you only get to pick through the five rangers and the megazord, but once you've defeated the green ranger, you can play through the game as the green ranger and the dragon zord. See, that's very, very cool. And I, I, as I said, I recognize a lot of Sega just slipping some money under the table to get the exclusive rights to, to, ha only, to have Tommy only in the Mega Drive version. Not that it mattered too much because the game is Bobbins. Absolute Bobbins, double dragon on Valium. Oof. Yeah, not 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 great score. 33%. We haven't had anything that low in quite some time. <laughs> Adrian going, darling, Street Fighter, is it? I was like, I don't think it was trying to be Street Fighter. Like, but yeah, you're right. It's not Street Fighter at all. Frank O'Connor, it's one of the worst games he's ever laid eyes on. But Dominic Diamond at the start saying, you will die a horrible death if you buy any Power Rangers merch this Christmas. Bloody hell, Dom. It's not that bad. I mean, the game is. That game is, but like, I mean, clearly Dom, like Animaniacs, hates the entire thing. Gah, grumpy hipster Dom. Yeah, exactly. Just old man Dom hating these youngsters now. They haven't got as good. Star Wars, that's where the cool kids are at. Like things that I liked when I was a kid. You wonder if he recorded this voiceover having just like seen that Star Wars challenge back and it just put him in a super salty <laughs> mood of just going... <laughs> Kids today. Kids today with their Animaniacs and their Power Rangers. Don't know how good they've got it. Oh, how bad they've got it, Luke. How bad <laughs> yeah. they've got it. Yeah, maybe you're right. Well, that's enough reviews for now. Let's get into our celebrity challenge and our final challenge for the episode. What are we playing, Games Master? I'm in fighting form today. So the next challenge I prepared is on the Super Nintendo game Fatal Fury Special. The two commandants I've selected, Big Bear and Wolfgang, are not the kind of people you could introduce to your mother, but they're pretty handy when it comes to a good old beat-em-up. As usual, players have three rounds to settle their differences. Let's let's quickly talk about Fatal Fury Special before we get into who our celebrities are, because it's a bit of a fun week this week for our celebrity. But Fatal Fury Special, uh, not one I'm particularly familiar with. Uh, I played quite a bit of Fatal Fury on the Mega Drive, but I don't think I ever played Fatal Fury Special. Now, while it's just called Special, it's not the first game. It is actually the second game. It's essentially it's the equivalent of Champion Edition yeah. or Turbo for Street Fighter. And it was released for the arcade and home platforms on the Neo Geo. It kind of leveled things up a bit. It introduced a couple of changes to the gameplay system. It also expanded the roster, so mirroring what Capcom did with Street Fighter when they made the bosses available in Champion Edition, all the four extra characters they introduced with Super. And not only was it released on the Neo Geo, it was released on the Neo Geo CD. They also ported it across to the Super Nintendo, which is the version we see here. Additionally, it came out for the Sega CD, the Game Gear and the PC Engine. Well, that'd be why I didn't play it then. It wasn't on the console that I owned. Playing this, we have two incredibly star guests. Please welcome from the world of WCW Wrestling, Marcus Bagley and the Patriot, otherwise known as Stars and Stripes. Okay, uh, Marcus, I want to talk about the special moves that you guys do in the ring. What's, what's your speciality? 
Well, uh, my special move in the ring is called a cradle suplex, and I can show you how that's done if you want me to. Please do. I was hoping you, you would. Okay. You like to see it done? Yeah. Oh, damn it. Are you okay. sure? I'm very hard. Okay, I'll put you down like this right here. Yep. Have your hand over uh -huh. here. I grab your leg like this. This I is very it. nice, actually. And then like this, we're going to go. You ready? Yep. You sure? Wait, no, you need to be all over. No. Okay, no, no I think I've seen enough of that, actually, yeah. Okay. I, may, I may have sounded a bit scared there, but I wasn't, actually. actually the slightest. I end up over there. Yes. On your back. But I, I think we got we got the point of that one. Okay. That was great. And um, moving on to you, Mr. Patriot. Uh, why the mask? Well, without this mask, I consider myself just an individual competitor, just another wrestler. But when I put the mask on, not only do I all of a sudden take on and represent the hopes and dreams of all great Americans, but all great patriots across the world. You see, right. patriotism is just not excluded to America. It's, it's all over the world. So it's the hopes and dreams, the work ethic, the hard work, the right way of doing things of all the great people across the world. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about our celebrities then, because from the world of WCW, it's Stars and Stripes, The Patriots, and, as Dominic Diamond calls him, Marcus Bagley. And I was like, that's Bagwell, you fool! Show the man some respect! I mean, do we really, do we really have to show the man some respect? Not, not for Buff the Stuff. That's the thing, he is still Marcus Bagwell here, but all through my notes, I'm just calling him Buff. I've because I thing. think of him Buff Bagwell. Exactly, he is Buff the Stuff. Man, we have had such a time with wrestlers on this podcast. We started with Big Ken, Kendo Nagasaki. We had Hacksaw Jim Duggan playing Super Nintendos. <laughs> We've had the Macho Man and we had a pre-tape from the British Bulldog. But now we've got some good old boys from the good old WCW. And in my notes, I spelt that D-U-B-Y-A-S-E-E-D-U-B-Y-A because that's what it was. Yeah, this is our debut of WCW here. And it's it's a really interesting period of WCW because we're only just in starting like a Hogan era of WCW before like they become the cool, edgy, NWO-led uh, Attitude Era Eric Bischoff sort of thing. This is still like, you know, Turner, nice Saturday 6 p.m. sort of thing. And they are here as the tag team Stars and Stripes, which I think was like Bagwell's second run as a tag team. And then they, they didn't even last it for a Though they won the tag titles twice, I think. They only lasted for a handful of months before Del Wilkes, who is the Patriot, uh, leaves to go to the WWF. Yeah, I mean, Bagwell joined in 1991. He joined up with the WCW. And I'll be honest, he, he jobbed for a while. He just spent time losing matches. He then started to get a bit more traction. He made his televised debut by actually defeating Rip Rogers in December of 91. And then, yes, you're right, he was in another tag team. He was actually teamed up with Jimmy Garvin, tagging against Michael Hayes and Tracy Smothers in a lethal lottery match, which they won to qualify for the Battle Bowl Battle Royale later in the night, which Sting won. Yeah, because I think once that tag team comes to an end, then he's with Stars and Stripes, then Dell goes across to WWF with the Patriot gimmick, no less, because that's what Dell was doing. He bloody loved America, did Dell Wilkes. And I think, does he then go to another tag team after that? I'm, try I'm trying to remember my buff history here. He th uh, yeah, it's the American Males after that. American Males! American Males! He gradually becomes less and less babyface and more and more cocky heel, which, of course, as time goes on in WCW and wrestling in general, means he becomes a babyface because the cool heels become the good guys. And the good guys 
because wrestling's weird, Luke. It's a very, very weird world. And Bagwell becomes this guy who he joins the NWO, which is like this heel. If you're not a wrestling fan, this sort of heel stable of cool bad guys. And he's infamous in the world of wrestling because his mum was like his manager in real world times. Like she did a lot of his sort of contract negotiations and stuff. And when Vince McMahon bought WCW and up some of their contracts, Bagwell's was one of the contracts that he bought. And Bagwell was one half of a WCW championship match to headline Monday Night Raw. It was the first time this everything had happened. It was kind of like a testing ground to see whether or not Vince McMahon could market WCW as a separate entity and keep it running as a separate brand and a separate company and just have like, you know, his own internal competition. And the match in Tacoma, Washington was so badly booed that it killed the brand dead. Like it killed the idea of this WCW revival completely dead. And that was effectively Bagwell's last time with the WWF because when it came up for his contract negotiations, what he was told, well, when he was unhappy with his uh, creative, what he was told was, uh, what he told, you know, Jim Ross, head of talent relations was, you need to call my mum. That was not a good look for, for old Bagwell. And that was kind of it for him. I don't like Bagwell. I didn't like his gimmick. I actually like him here as Marcus Bagwell, but I didn't like the Buff Bagwell gimmick. I thought he was actually pretty good in the ring, but I unfortunately he thought he was a lot better in the ring than he actually was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Cody Rhodes recently said of because Disco Inferno, it, it, Glenn Gilberti is in, in a similar mold of that, which is the Bagwell came up in a period of time where you didn't need to be good in the ring; you just needed to be over with the boys in the back. And as long as you were over with the boys in the back, you always got your spot on TV. But despite the fact that I don't really like Bagwell, although I do like him in this and we'll get on to that, I'm not going to punch down on him too quick because the dude is one of wrestling's victims as well. Oh, yeah, he is. He got caught up in the party lifestyle. He got various drug addictions. He's faced various charges. And basically, he is an addict. Mm -hmm. And... He's been involved in multiple car accidents and he's he's not in a good way now. No, I remember Brian Alvarez doing an interview with him in 2010. I'm going to say it was about 2010 because TNA were doing their sort of, they were trying to do the Monday Night War thing with WWE again and, and failed spectacularly. And I remember Brian Alvarez doing an interview with him on figure four and an Alvarez interview in that period of time would have gone 30, 40 minutes at, at minimum and sometimes even longer and the interview he did with bagwell was like 11 minutes long and i remember being on the board uh, the message board at the time and people were like i knew this was going to be a train wreck before i even started playing it because it's only 11 minutes long now you obviously were part of the monday night wars the original wars and i don't know Whoa. if you if you followed it much but we had a second brief war for two months Impact went to Monday nights and quickly got slaughtered, moved back to Thursday nights. And any thoughts on how that whole thing went down? Uh, I mean, I heard you, but I didn't quite catch you. Uh, Monday, as I say, you know? Oh, the Monday Night Wars, The when Impact went head-to-head -head with Raw for the last couple of months and ended up being right. moved back to Thursdays. I mean, did you follow any of that, and, and what were your thoughts? Oh my God! I was we, I was the world tag team champion at the time, and it was horrible because the fans don't want to see you twice, you know. And 
and they, even if they do, it's hard to you know to you know have them sit there for you know two shows. Sure, and it's n- it's so hard to listen to because Bagwell's not there, man. He is not with him during that interview. Looking at his Wikipedia, last update on the dude was from May twenty second, twenty twenty one. He was arrested on five charges, including speeding, hit and run, giving a false name, address or birth date to law enforcement professionals. So he was driving under the influence. He hit someone or something and then he tried to pretend to be someone else. I wish he could get clean. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the boys from that time. But speaking of people that did get clean, let's move on to the Patriot. Oh, the good old boy Del Wilkes. Del Wilkes here. He's, I mean, he's grand, is old Dell. Um, he goes off to the WWF after this and fused with Bret Hart for a little bit, like before Bret leaves. Like, he only passed away very recently, like in our current recording timeline. It was only like a couple of weeks ago, maybe last month. It was June 30th, 2021. He died of a heart attack at age 59, which yeah. is absolutely tragic he only wrestled for nine years he retired in 1998 primarily due to a torn tricep and he used steroids as many guys did back then because you had to be big he used cocaine because it was the party drug and it also helped him keep going through those really horrific touring schedules addiction became a big part of his life he did some time he did nine months in the early 2000s he eventually did manage to quit drugs He ended up working as a car salesman and he came clean about a lot of the bad sides of his career. And in one of the interviews he gave uh, where he talked about his career, steroid use, the Chris Benoit tragedy and loads of other topics, he used that time to one, say goodbye to his fans because obviously given how he retired, he didn't really get the chance to. And also was very keen on giving advice to younger wrestlers, uh, basically going, don't be me. Don't be our generation of wrestlers. Learn from our mistakes. And there are a number of wrestlers that took that route. He took it. Roddy Piper took it. Basically, the ones that became self-aware and realized how self-destructive their time was. His final interview, I believe it was his final interview, was with a friend of mine, Sean Rossap. And it was funny because Sean was, was talking about, like, I've been sitting on this interview I did with Del Wilkes for about a year, and I'm going to post it on July 4th as like an Independence Day interview with the Patriots. Like, yes, Patriots not done an interview in so long. I thought it'd be a really nice thing to do. And then like two days later after he made that announcement, Dell passed away. So when he's telling you that, I mean, that, that has to make you feel appreciated at the very least. Being there for such a short amount of time, as you mentioned, and being so fondly remember, uh, remembered, are, are you still on good terms with WWE? Do you ever speak with them? Um. I've spoke to people that worked in the company. I don't think I really ended up on that good of terms with Vince because several years after I was out of the WWE, um, I did some TV programs, CNN, uh, Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel. I had an interview with Armin Katayan, and I was very vocal uh, about the drug abuse in wrestling, about the steroid abuse, uh, which I, I had done all those things, but I had seen the effect that it had on me and, uh, and, and keep in mind, too, at this time, uh, when I was being vocal about these things, we were losing guys and girls left and right within the industry. I mean, they were dropping like flies. And uh, I just felt like somebody within the industry needed to do something to prevent all this from happening. And uh, I was there. I witnessed Pillman 
and the last few weeks of his life for the last few months. And Sean, it was obvious that anybody that was there in the WWF, Brian was going to crash and burn. It was obvious something bad was going to happen. And bless his heart, it did, and God rest his soul. So I was very vocal about the drug culture in wrestling. And as a result of that, um, you know, I'm sure Vince and didn't appreciate the things I had said. We were on a couple of the same shows together. And uh, so I, I feel pretty certain I didn't end up on his Christmas card list. I'm going to have to go and check that out because as we get into this challenge, I really like these two guys. Mm. I really like how they presented themselves. And I would actually argue, I think these two presented themselves the best out of any wrestlers we've had thus far. Yeah, I mean, I, Randy Savage is my favorite of the four, I suppose, five that we've had thus far, uh, including these lads here. I feel bad for Dell, though, because... You know, you know, Dominic Diamond's interviewing them and he's interviewing Bagwell and Bagwell's like, oh, you know, at the cradle suplex, do you want me to do it to you? And Dominic's sort of making fun of it a little bit until Bagwell goes to do it. And then Dominic's like, no, 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 don't actually do it, don't actually do it. I, I love that because it's so, it's so beautiful because talking about special moves, because this is where we start to get this idea of signature moves and we tie the video game, the finishers and the matches over. That came out of the 80s and as time went on and especially today, it's become more and more a thing people have signature special moves that they do and they will bust them out and that will often be a match ender people don't generally win matches off body slams anymore not unless you weigh 500 pound and do it off the top rope yeah unless that's your finish like you know the braun Strowman running power slam sort of thing but like that is but anyone else doing a running power slam that's a, just a regular move but to braun that's the finish that's the match ender man wrestling is so ridiculous isn't it's it it's such a stupid thing isn't it i was I having this it. chat with, oh i know i was having this chat with someone recently about i can't what move was it oh that was it jericho's finished the judas effect and i i think it's a bit goofy and i think it's a bit silly and uh adam said to me which is like i mean he's elbowing you in the face and i'm like i know but a lot of people elbow people in the faces during wrestling matches but that's not the end of it Wrestling is about the pomp and circumstance. I'm sure if I got elbowed in the face really hard, I would hit the deck. But it's the world of wrestling. You need to make things look really silly. Dom gets in the setup for a cradle suplex, which is essentially a front face lock, and you hook the leg. And Dom is still kind of joking along, going, oh, this is quite nice, actually. And then Buff, sorry, Marcus, because Marcus is good. Buff is a dick. Marcus <laughs> starts to lift him, and that's when Dom's like, no! <laughs> <laughs> Sounds freaking out about it, and it, but it's yeah, it's it's Dell that I feel really sorry for because you know he asks him about his mask, and Dell just starts doing his promo, the the promo that Dell always does. Underneath this mask, I'm just a regular old man. I'm just a regular old guy, just like you at home. When I put this mask on, I become a different person. I become the patriot. I'm embodied by the stars and stripes. I'm embodied by the power of America. July Fourth, and doing all of this sort of stuff, and this team take the piss out of him start playing patriotic music underneath and it really feels like they're going like what a knob what an absolute knob let's just make fun of him i did like how he actually adjusted it a bit he worked babyface he's like not just patriots in america <laughs> patriots all over the world it's the work ethic it's the ideology and the thing is context of 94 to 95 this is cheesy as fuck oh it's so cheesy yeah it's such a cheesy promo and I have to view it in the context of 94 to 95, because after four years of Donald Trump, it, it kind of it makes your skin crawl if you view it in modern 
mm. context because this is this guy comes across as someone that would be wearing a MAGA hat. I don't know what his thoughts were on politics, and I'm not going to dig into it too much because I like him here. The team were taking the piss a bit, but I actually thought you are working this promo well. You guys look ridiculous. You clearly know how ridiculous you look in this get up. But I genuinely think of all of the wrestlers that we've had appear on Games Master, these feel like the only two that have actually put some time into trying to learn how to play the game. Oh yeah, no, 100%. I, I completely agree with you on that one. While I get all anthemic with the Stars and Stripes, we'll take you to a quick break. Channel 4 presents an alternative Christmas, a celebration of black life, music and culture. A Christmas tale with a magical storyteller in Busker's Odyssey. An inside look at the family courts of Jamaica. There may be trouble ahead. Black humour at its sharpest and the latest phenomenon to hit the British music scene. Jungle forever. An intimate profile of a Jamaican superstar, Peter Tosh. And proof that Jamaica is the little island with the big sound. And the final jamming session of the year is a New Year party in the Caribbean. Am I there? Yeah, it's you. Oliver Samuels. And me. Mark Lamar. We're jamming into New Year live from Jamaica. And kicking off the season, Desmond and friends celebrate in style. We're dreaming of a black Christmas on Channel 4. Don't book your holiday until you've seen Land Police discounts. They're huge. Huge discounts? Good away. <laughs> on an ordinary day. A child's bright laughter fills the air One loving word, one loving glance The sunshine everywhere Your worthless is his worthless too So glistening with its golden glow So sweet and creamy, a taste so good You're so alike, the two of you Worthless and that feeling That you never will forget If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. New Andrex. It's squeezably softer and thicker than ever. When you're being chased by the mob, the triads, and the police, there's not many people you can turn to. Never get away with this. This is our only chance to go straight. To call this going straight? If you're trying to repent, trust in the Lord. Robbie Coltrane and Eric Idle are getting the habit. Nuns on the Run, next Sunday at 9 o'clock on Channel 4. Welcome back. We have the two most fearsome stars of WCW Wrestling, Stars and Stripes, the tag team with us tonight. Uh, with me in the company box still is Dave Perry. Dave, we've got some uh, slightly misguided attempts at fashion here tonight, but enough about you. Um, <laughs> tell us about the game. What kind of special moves have both the characters got? Well, Marcus is going to be playing as Big Bear. He's got all the power moves. He's got a German suplex. He's got a ground slam move. Well, the Patriot will be playing as Wolfgang, and he's faster, and he's got a nifty fireball. Okay, well, look uh, out for those then. Breaking continuity. Dave Perry is wearing a different bandana to the one he was wearing earlier. I just think this guy's a three bandana a day kind of guy. I think he just mixes it up. He has his pre-lunch bandana. He has his post-lunch bandana. Then he has his smoking bandana for the evenings, which is kind of like lined and maybe made out of a satin. I just think mm. he's a modern bandana renaissance kind of guy. He strikes me as the sort of person that would have a costume change uh, midway through filming. But yeah, anyway, Dave Perry is in the booth here. Um, and <laughs> I mean, you know, Dave just wants to talk about the game. Dom just wants to make fun of his dress sense because he starts off by talking about like ridiculously dressed people looking at Stars and Stripes who do look over to him and be like, you what, mate? And then goes, I am, of course, talking about Dave Perry. And they're like, Okay, we'll let you have that one. But again, they know how ridiculous they look. They're 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 fine with it. But to be fair, Dave is shirtless, wearing a leather jacket and a bandana. But he he talks us through the special moves while Dom does his Dom stuff. And Bear has a German suplex. Wolfgang has a fireball. They have chosen the basically the wrestlery type characters, the ones that look like they could be wrestlers. Yeah, that's what I figured because like they don't really there's not really a, a WCW game that they could have picked here. Like there were WCW games but they weren't as like good as Royal Rumble or Super Nintendo WrestleMania. So like um I I think it made sense for them to play Fatal Fury special. And in a couple of years time, you know, it would have been a different story. They would have been able to play a WCW game like on the 64 or the PlayStation. I think it made sense to pick this here. And they're actually very even on it as well. Lots of punches, lots of kicks. It's not expertise uh, game playing, but they do try for special moves. They're both trying for it. And it's pretty good. It's pretty even. Yeah, a lot of the whipping that takes place, because it starts with them basically both just throwing punches and kicks at the air. And it's not that they're just button mashing. They are trying to do the quarter circles. They're trying to do the forward, down, down, forward button to make the special moves happen. They jump into the background. They move into the foreground. 
I genuinely believe these guys took time out in the day to go, right, we don't want to look like idiots. We want to look like we know how to play this game. And whilst it is not a fighting game masterclass, I'll be honest, this is better than King of Fighters as a fighting game goes. I wrote the exact same thing. This is a better fighting challenge than the King of Fighters 94 one we had a few weeks back. This is, while it's not my favorite of the wrestler challenges, because that will always be Randy Savage, this is this is the best games playing we've seen out of any of the wrestlers that have come on. And it goes to, it goes to three rounds. I mean, the Patriot takes the first round. He takes only it. just as well. Like yeah, he has to make a huge comeback to get that win. And we get to the second round, at which point Dom shouts, "Come on, fat boy, get in there!" Yeah. Which that <laughs> made me laugh. But apparently, it helps because Buffy pulls back that round, and again we get to the third round, and they are equal until Big Bear, aka Mr. Bagwell, aka Mr. Bagley, learns the efficiency of a jumping kick or knee. And he spams that move. And, you know, it works. He whittles down the energy. He eventually takes the round, which means Marcus takes the joystick. You know, it's not a masterclass in fighting games, but it was exciting. Was yet, you know, Patriot, even though he was down the down for the count on that final round there because Bagley was like, you know, spamming those jumping kicks. Patriot made a pretty serious comeback, and I thought we might get a repeat of the first round again, but those jumping kicks were just a bit too much for him. Dave Perry, I, I said he was having a whale of a time on the on the Bomberman challenge. He was having a whale of a time here as well, because these were people playing a fighting game and taking it pretty seriously, which Dave Perry absolutely loves. And he was there like taking it super seriously, because like Dom asked him, like, who do you think is going to win here? And he just says, I fancy Wolfgang, actually. I mean, that could just be his personal choice, and I'm not judging on that one. Well, that's what I thought. I was fully expecting, because I heard him say that line, and I made a note of it. And I was like, well, I'm going to rewind this, because I guarantee you Dominic pulls a face. And I rewound it, and he doesn't. Dom also plays it completely straight. Like, Dave set him up there, and Dom did not take the bait. Now, Patriot, you had a great start there. You took the first bout then. What happened? Things went well, wrong. It was almost over. I almost shut him out. First bout was mine. Second bout, he was on the ropes. But just like the great competitor he is, that's why he's my partner. He came back, took second and third round. So he's a champ. He certainly was. Um, Marcus, um, have you, ever, have you ever had a fight in real life before, you two? No, but being tag team partners, I know how the Patriots thinking. Just like he knows how I'm thinking. But just today, I, I guess I thought a little bit smarter, huh? Yeah, you certainly had the edge in terms of the old brain power. That's right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Patriot, no hard feelings, man. All right, there'll be another day. Be another day. <laughs> and it's in the post-match where I like these guys going into it. I liked Marcus at this point, and I love Dell, a.k.a. the Patriot. It's the post-match where they really cement themselves in my heart because Patriot... He cuts it like he would a wrestling promo. He's like, oh, it was almost over. First round, I shot him out. Second round, he was on the ropes. But just like the great competitor he is and the reason he's my tag team partner, he came back and took the second and third round. And I'm like, dude, you did such a good job of putting him over there. That was beautiful. That was a simple, clean-cut, comprehensible promo. We've had Growly Macho. We've had Hacksaw Jim Duggan. But actually being coherent and relevant to what you're doing, yeah. Patriot's actually above him. Macho Man will always hold that place in my heart, but he was just doing Macho Man shtick in a video game surrounding. Dell was paying attention. Yeah, it's really, and like Bagwell, you know, saying that um, 
oh, you know, because he's my tag team partner, so I know what he's thinking at all times. It's just on this day, I was just that little bit smarter. And Patriot's like, yeah, you really work here. You were, you know, really well. We're both still friends. We're still really getting on. I thought it was lovely scenes. It really, really charmed me and is probably one of my favorite celebrity challenges for video game playing, at least, that we've had this season. It was just, it was an entertaining challenge and entertaining guests. And we've had one or the other. We've not had both really in season four. Either the guests have carried it. In fact, no, the guests have carried it. None of the actual games playing challenges have been worth a shot, really. No, they've been, yeah, like in the, the last half of series three, when they didn't have time really to do the celebrity challenges because of all the team championship stuff, they felt like a pointless exercise. And with series four, because they're in this uh, 90s anarchic mode where they're just like, well, everything is rubbish, so we're just going to say everything is rubbish. Some of the celebrities have had to sort of like, carry along. Yeah, Anton Dex are a really good example of this. They were very, very good on it, but then they play the game and are absolutely bobbins. It almost feels like the celebrities have just been on so that Dominic can make fun of something that they're doing. But this is one of the few examples where we got a really good interview, really good games playing, really good post-match. It was, pre- it was great. It was really nice. Dom was trying his best to like make fun of it and poke fun of it, and the team were as well. But I think they overcame a lot of that. And Marcus gets his joystick from the goblins who put up a bit of a fight and they all continue to tussle and they wrestle the goblins as they're herded off stage. I did love Dom just watching them go and go, yeah, boys will be boys. Please, please, Games Master. I want to get to level three on Micro Machines 2 on the Mega Drive, but I'm stuck on level two. Can you help? Not many people know this, but each level contains a secret warp. On level two, travel to the left-hand side of the course, leave the track, and you will eventually find this portal. Enter it, and before you can say, beam me up, Scotty, you'll find yourself racing against William Shatner. Another enterprising solution. Nice one, big fella. Don't be cheeky. We've got a new thing with Games Master in the consultation zone. So previously, uh, it would be like, your games master's face behind the fiery background and it'll be like welcome to my consultation zone and then it will cut to a side shot where like his face is just there and the kid's sort of like on the sort of like end of a fiery road to ask Mm. him the question the new thing they've added in now is that when they cut to that shot his face zooms into shot which means in the world of games master he talks in one area and then moves himself across to this new area to actually address the children. Yeah, they've clearly got a video toaster or a Quantel paint box or something. They've learned some new tricks. They have, yeah, which is in coincided with his brand new look that he's got available to him as well, with like the, the proper chrome dome thing. But our first kid is um, wants a level select, basically, on Micro Machines 2. And Games Master says, they're on every level. You've just got to know where to find them. You find, like, There's these little warp squares that you can go to that'll just jump you through to the next race. And he also makes a bunch of Star Trek references, which don't really make much sense. I mean, he's like, oh, yes, a secret warp, warp Star Trek, that makes sense. But before you can say, beat me up, Scotty, you'll find yourself racing against William Shatner. What? Uh, yeah, I guess it's warp. That, that's that's all I had for it. Although his actual follow-on pun was better, which was another enterprising solution. I wonder if they'd also filmed uh, a Star Trek hint that they they actually weren't going to use in any of the edits. Like, well, we've got rushes of uh, Games Master doing some uh, Star Trek puns, and we'll use them here. I like the kid at the end of the one going, nice one, big fella. Nice one, you giant floating head weirdo. Games Master, PUBG 2 on the SNES is the most bizarre game I possess. Is there any way to make it even more bizarre? Of course. Enter this code on the title screen. B-A-B-Y. 
Now, when you play the game, all the floors will have turned to rubber. Hold down the dump button, your feet on the ground. That should put a swing in your step. Thanks, Games Master. Our second kid wants Bubsy to be less shot. I mean, more bizarre. Uh, so Games Master gives him the hint of uh, baby, which basically means the, the, all the floors are bouncy now. Yeah, all the floors are bouncy. You actually have to hold down the jump button to stay the hell still. I mean, he says it's the most bizarre game he owns. I'm, I don't think I can argue with that. Unless he owns Boogerman or something. I mean, Bubsy is pretty weird. And by weird, we mean shit. Yeah, basically, like this is a way for you to make a game that's not that great basically unplayable. So uh, to your heart's content, I've had it. But Luke, can we have a big query to end this one off? On Alone in the Dark on the 3DO, how do I get past the two winged monsters at the top of the staircase? First, go to the room containing the four poster bed and smash the bars to reveal a key. Now, go to the chest of drawers and use the key. You will find two mirrors inside the chest. Now, make your way to the demons and place a mirror on each of the corner statues. The demons are so hideously ugly that one look in the mirror is enough for them to die of embarrassment. Thank you, Games Master. Yes, uh, this is what the consultation zone has been missing in Series 4. We know, because we've spoken to Dominic Diamond about this, you've heard it in our final interview, he did not like the consultation zone and thought it was almost a waste of TV time, basically. And I think we've seen a lot of that through Series 4, where the consultation zone has just been a thing that is there because it's always been there. But then you get moments like this, and you're like, this is why the consultation zone is great. And this is why fans really remember it a lot. It's because you use games that have got, I don't know how to do this bit. Show me how to do this bit. And you get to, and this is on Alone in the Dark on the 3DO. If written down, you might be able to work it out. But seeing it in motion, seeing it in video form, is the best way to get you past this stage. And I've, I've, this completely saved the consultation zone for me this week absolutely did you know this game was briefly a licensed property i didn't know that actually no yeah it had the call of cthulhu license for a while did and when really? you look at the design ethic and you yes. see this yeah you like the old man yeah this could be elder gods and old ones and new england weirdness and stuff like that and essentially chaosium just went ah the game's a bit too simple to to like kind of do justice to our world and i kind of see where they're coming from I find it interesting purely because uh, Kickstarter that I backed just recently has just started to deliver its uh, rewards, and it is actually a 40th anniversary remaster of the second edition of Call of Cthulhu. And mm. they've gone right back to 1982 and remastered those. And so I just was reading up on Alone in the Dark, and I'm like, ah, strange how the world loops around at times. But you talk about your Resident Evils. We're, we're very close to Resident Evil being a thing, but this game was survival horror before Resident Evil was survival horror. And it did appear on a number of platforms. It was on the PC. It was a Japanese exclusive version for the PC-98, the 3DO version we see here. And Luke, guess what? I know, because we've had it reviewed in the past and we talked about it then. Ah, but which version? Uh, which version? I think we had this version reviewed. Because uh, there was an Atari Jaguar version that mm -hmm. never came out. Yeah, this is an Atari Jaguar CD version. This is a CDI version, a Mega Drive version, a Mega CD version, a 32X version. <laughs> there we go, 32X. There <laughs> yeah. were planned versions for the Atari Jaguar CD and a 32X version, none of which appeared because fuck those consoles. <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll get a little bit of that later on in this show, in fact. The latest state-of-the-art computer graphics were on show recently at the London Graphics Expo. This particular Arsenal footballers from the forthcoming PC game Creature Shock. 
Namco Japan showed off their graphics know-how with this entry, Little Topo's Adventure, depicting the Cretaceous but ultimately fruitless capers of a baby dinosaur. Go on, kill him. We have to watch it. Spotty! Be our scout, okay? Warn us if you see a frog. Mm-hmm. This sequence is an excerpt from Insectoids, a new computer-generated TV series developed in France. Mortal Kombat publishers acclaim demonstrated their expertise in motion capture with this demo sequence known as Duel. But the real showstopper also came from acclaim in the form of motion capture sequences from the forthcoming Alien Trilogy game. As we speak, acclaim are busy creating similar sequences for the latest Cape Crusader movie, Batman Forever. And our feature for this week is a fun little one because they've just done the London Graphics Expo and they're basically showing you bits and bobs from that expo. It's kind of similar to when we had uh, the CES uh, back in Series 3. And I like this. This is uh, really what I like from a feature and stuff. It's showing you some new, interesting things that have come out of a certain expo or uh, conference or things like that. You know, we get to see Creature Shock, which we actually had as a challenge a little while back. Insectoids, this new show from France. This uh, motion capture game, Jewel. And then some stuff from the Alien Trilogy game. Which and I don't remember any of this stuff being in the Alien trilogy game on the PlayStation when I eventually played it. I'm I'm fairly certain some of these clips were used in like the Acclaim logos, but but yeah, Alien trilogy was the big thing that was going to demonstrate this new technology from Acclaim. Also, they were working on stuff tied into the new Batman movie, Batman Forever, when you know everything got very colourful and moved away from Tim Burton because they wanted to sell toys. But just to let you know, I did actually do probably more attempts to find information on this London Graphics Expo than anything else in this episode. It took more effort and I didn't come up with much other than it was in November and it took place in Wembley. That, that's about all I could find. I could find like various people in the calendars of their magazines and I found it in music technology magazines. I found it in Amiga magazines, PC magazines, but no one in a publication that, you know, has actually... um been scanned and put online could i find like a report from the show which i find a shame i also wonder if maybe it's just because it was a bit more tradey it wasn't kind of like the consumer show and oh yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned creature shock which we've seen and we've gone through and dom has a nice little joke here about arsenal football players we see something called little topo's adventure which you mentioned which is from namco yeah it sounds like yeah i don't remember this and you'd have thought namco it would have tied into a game eventually insectoid this is a contentious one because this claims to be the first CGI TV series, but also we have Reboot. And I wonder if it's a case of which got to air first because Reboot had been in production since the 80s. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, when it first started, I thought this was something from Pixar. But yeah, they claim to be the first. Other sources say it's the fifth. It was ma- it was created in 93 and aired in 94 in France and was then dubbed into a North American and a UK English language release so different areas got different accents which it happens with anime sometimes I mean Mm -hmm. there have been international releases and then there's been manga video releases so you get different English language options depending on where you go the UK version actually the script of insectoids or insectors as it was known when it was released uh, was completely rewritten characters had different names different dialogue was used jokes was made to be more British culture centric 
yeah, a fascinating little piece of CGI animation. Who knows? Maybe it'll be a future under consultation extra candidate. We've no idea where those are going half the time. I don't remember it at all whatsoever. I remember it, but I think I remember it as a Channel 4 thing. Like, like it was, you know, it was a Saturday or Sunday morning on Channel 4. Maybe it was BBC. I don't remember it being on ITV because ITV was reboot. If it did end on ITV, then it just passed me by. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the subject of Duel, it was originally planned to be a game for the 32X. Development got so far and then stopped because the 32X was bobbins. And this wasn't one of the games that got shoveled onto the Saturn at a later date. Yeah, it didn't ring any bells for me. I presumed that this was a, an, another cancelled game. The, the the Batman Forever comment that we get around the Alien Trilogy thing is interesting as well because that is it is a it's motion capture to a degree because basically what they use is the Mortal Kombat engine for the Batman Forever game, but turn it into a platformer. I, I got a bit of a sort of a chuckle because we were talking about you know how they go from the sort of the it's a more brighter world than the Tim Burton one. The game for Batman Forever is so dark and dingy, it's so difficult to work out what anything you're doing in it. Thanks to a clipping from Mean Machine Sega, I actually do have a bit more information on Jewel because they actually went to America and they saw it in the studios to see what they were actually making. And apparently it was set in a post-apocalyptic world. The game used live actors to ensure the game's CGI characters moved realistically, so we're on to motion capture And the demo they saw, which is what we saw in this clip here, showed a man fighting a huge monster using whatever he could find to basically, like kind of improvising weapons. So kind of like your standard Star Trek battle where, you know, they pick up plywood or they pick Mm. up like polystyrene rocks. A rock or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Me Machines were very, very positive on this. And it is a shame it didn't appear. But looking at it... There's no way that was coming out on the 32X. Well, okay, well, let's let's get into our, our, I'm going to say our final challenge, Games Master. What are we playing? Because we can touch on this a little bit more in just a second. But let's go, what are we playing, Games Master? Just because I'm feeling generous, I've decided to spoil you with this rather interesting feature. You may be wondering why an unknown American is attaching electrode-type sensors to various parts of my anatomy. Well, this isn't one of my more peculiar sensual experiences. This is, in fact, a graphics technique used for the latest state-of-the-art beat-em-up from Accolade, the next breed. Motion capture is the computer modelling technique that turns this into this. I asked my chubby mate Scott to give me a demo of how it's done. There are six cameras around us here that use these sensors to track the position of the joints of your body. And these cameras are hooked up to those computers over there and will produce a 3D coordinate grouping of all your actions that we later use in the game. So by the end of the process, we can get from me, if I punch someone here wearing these, then by the end of that, I could be punching someone in the actual game. Exactly. I think I'll have a bit of that, Scott. Okay. I'll try that for myself now. Sure. This is John. He made the mistake of spilling my pint earlier on, so I'm going to have to give him a kicking. Three, two, one, go. Because of the limitations of the system, John and I recorded our movements separately. He has John given me what he hopes will be a thorough smacking. Go. Then it was my goal. Once the motion has been captured, it's a join-the-dots type situation to create a line figure, which is then expanded and placed in a 3D environment, allowing it to be seen from any angle. 
More detail is then added to the 3D model and finally the wireframe figure is texture mapped like these ones from the next breed game. The finished figures are now living computer generated characters with uniquely realistic movements. Back in the studio it was time for my little dabble in motion capture to get underway. That's me looking thoughtful on the left and that's John. It was time for us to get hard. John tried to intimidate me with his martial arts moves malarkey, but I was playing it cool because I had a little surprise in store for him. Yes, I childishly concealed a baseball bat during my motion capture session and John's hopes of victory were instantly dispatched, leaving me to look victorious and slightly overweight. Remember kids, don't try this at home unless you're particularly tough. We're playing nothing because clearly they had another feature that they wanted to play here. But a feature that I found fascinating because this is a, a, a feature here for a game called Next Breed. A game that doesn't come out. We don't get this game. It never, it never gets released. But its original release date was planned for September. So I'm, I'm curious to know whether this feature was filmed before September or it was filmed recently that they've now added in to the show itself because Dom's got a different haircut which you know it shows that it was filmed at a very different time but I have to imagine this was filmed pre it, the game essentially getting cancelled by the time 95 rolls around yeah it had a interesting production history I mean it was called the new breed or DN action yeah or Cybernauts, the next breed. I mean, it, it, it went through a fair few title changes. Yeah, that DN action one does not work. It works written down, but saying it out loud does not work as a pun. But the game was to be placed in a future setting with scientists genetically engineering humans to create their own superheroes. Some decide to use their powers for evil because tropes. And then you get a rivalry between these two sets of genetically engineered people, the superheroes and the supervillains. There were at least Four playable characters named Pitbull and Hotshot, who were members of the superhero group called Matrix Alpha, and then two members of the evil organization Overlord, Ground Zero, and Tracer. Four other characters were shown, including Shockwave and Banzai from Overlord, and Recoil and Ironclad from Matrix Alpha. This game looks like it could have been a lot of fun. It is very interesting seeing Dominic getting all done up in his motion capture dots, which he says is definitely not a sex thing. For him, it totally as a sex thing but it's great to see how motion capture actually works at that point and get a bit of an explanation it's not just one camera it's six cameras they're getting all that telemetric data and they don't skip over it that much they do show how the data looks at different stages of the computer understanding it and then a very brief moment of them dragging it onto a 3d model and kind of you know connecting the hip bone to the thigh bone and all that mm. kind of stuff and then we get a funny little skit of Dominic getting into a fight with a trained martial artist called John, who apparently just spilled his pint. John does his motion capture on screen, which is a full-on martial arts expo. He's doing all the jumps, all the kicks, all the flip-de-doos, all the stuff you'd expect him to do. Dom does his motion capture off screen, which indicates there is a punchline coming. And that punchline is a baseball bat. Yeah, I, I want to know when this was done and when the decision was made. Also. How bad was their options for challenges that they didn't want to use? Because like this, as we get into the second half of series four, the show is falling apart, not falling apart at it, it, it seems because that makes it like it's a bad thing, but they are changing the show after it's been filmed. 
They have filmed a show with three challenges in mind, but they are now editing a show where they only want two challenges and more news and more features. So what we get, and we get this for a handful of episodes, you know, as we run into the end now, is Dominic Diamond doing a piece to camera saying, well, it's time for our final challenge. Let's throw it to the Games Master. And the Games Master says, actually, I've had enough of challenge. Here's a bonus feature. Even in the Christmas episode, we get the final challenge is so bad that the Games Master goes, this is terrible. Here's a feature. I mean, in the case of that Christmas special, that is very much deserved. That final challenge is terrible. Oh, it's so bad. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks time. But oh boy, is that a bad one. And it's we have seen it gradually progress through this series, which has been so interesting to see of Dominic Diamond and the team losing interest in the challenges and being more interested in making a magazine show about news and features. And I'm I'm because the game was supposed to have been out in the you know summer of of '94. Did they film this? Like, did they go there recently? Because they were like, oh, it is going to come out. We're going to do it in summer of 95 instead. Because this was a Mega Drive game. This isn't a 32X game. This isn't a Jaguar or a C3DO or a CDI or a Saturn game. This is a Mega Drive game. Um, yeah, I've, I've just uh, the thing that interests me the most in this is when was this filmed? My theory is it was filmed earlier in the year, like pre-September. And then they were just sort of been sat on it for a while. And then we're like, do you know what? That challenge, we haven't got any good challenges to put in the end here. Put in that, put in that feature that we haven't used yet to fill the time for this episode. Alternative take, which is my thought, is one, I I think they filmed it over the summer. I think they filmed it when Dom was off doing his summer tour of LucasArts and stuff like that and getting all all the footage we've seen in other features, you know, some of which have been really great. I reckon you had two factors at play, one of which was Dom wanted this to become more of a magazine-type show, which we know he did, and he gets more and more his own way as the series goes on in that regard. But the other is they weren't just given a video package to run. They weren't just given a demo tape like we've seen them do with some other features. And we've still got more features to come this 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 year, which are basically Mystery Science Theatre 3000s of standard promo tapes. This was bespoke filmed footage. And I reckon they were like, we need to keep these people on our side. We need a claim to be on our side because they're developing stuff for the PlayStation. They're developing stuff for the Saturn. We need to keep this company on side because this could be the next big thing for technology. So I reckon you had a mixture of Dominic pushing the magazine format, but also contractual obligations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it feels like we've got more features than we have challenges. Maybe uh, sort of backing up your theory there, because they've got to try and keep them sweet. They need to put all of these features into the show. And that means just ditching some of the challenges that we don't really want to use. But Luke, guess what? What's that? This project didn't completely die. Yeah, they held on to this for like nearly like five or so years. It was like, but like, but until like ninety nine, they were still trying to run this thing until the company got bought. Oh no, 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 no! Cybernauts came back this year. Did it really? There was a Kickstarter campaign that, as of recording, finished about a week ago. That was going to bring these characters back for a CGI interactive comic, because something they don't talk about here is this was going to be a game which would tie in to an online comic platform that really the world was not ready for in 94, 95. But they decided they were going to try and bring it back. They were bringing it back as virtual comics, which was going to be an alternative outlet for the digital publications and distribution of comic books in which the readers would enjoy awe-inspiring stories and remarkable characters straight from their personal computer 
on the same day that they were published. There were a lot of bunny ears in there that you saw, Luke, and others Mm. can just guess where I put them in because essentially I was just reading their blurb. The first project was merging comic books with video games and potentially an animated series called Cybernauts, the new breed, obviously the cancelled video game for the Mega Drive and the Super Nintendo. Yeah, this is very much a Lawrence Kasanoff thing. I interviewed Lawrence Kasanoff for the Mortal Kombat uh, chapter of the book that I wrote, and he was also on that train. Like when he, uh, Mortal Kombat, the sort of the story of the movie in his briefest form is that uh, he was working with James Cameron on Terminator Two, and he then left that, and he was then called by uh, Midway to go and see this game because they had done Terminator Two with him. So they said, by the way, we've got a game that's going to blow Terminator 2 out of the water. It's going to be the biggest game uh, you're ever going to see. And that was Mortal Kombat. When they're in this early version of Mortal Kombat. And what he said to them when, he's, when he saw it was, this isn't just a game. This is going to be a comic book. This is going to be a cartoon. It's going to be a stage show. It's going to be a movie. It's going to be a TV show. It's going to be a soundtrack. And this, this, and this, and this, and this. And I wonder if the people that were working on this at the time were like looking at Mortal Kombat as the inspiration here. Because Mortal Kombat did become all of those things. It did have a cartoon. It did have a comic book. It did have a uh, a, um, a live action TV series. It also had a stage show. They did a live action touring Mortal Kombat's like live show. Mm. So I wonder if they were looking at looking at that and being like, "That's the model. You don't just make one thing. You make a multimedia empire." of multiple different things that tie into each other. Whatever they had planned then, would you like to hear what they had planned now? I, I would also be very curious to know if this actually made it like through Kickstarter, because I can't imagine that many people give a fuck. Well, from their blurb, this adventure will finally begin after 25 years, and depending on the tier that you choose, you can enjoy the comic book version of Cybernauts that you prefer, whether you want its digital version, its physical edition, a special edition, or both versions altogether. But that's not all. The backers will have the opportunity to download the Sega Genesis prototype of the game that was thought to be lost and that was supposed to come out in 1994. That's actually a fairly cool backer reward. Sadly, it wasn't enough. It failed dismally to meet its somewhat meagre backing goal. I am unsurprised. I am Jack's complete lack of surprise. And their last update, which was from August 19th, the day the campaign ended, was thank you to all our backers. We really appreciate you put time to review and pledge to our campaign. We will go another direction than Kickstarter and release the comic book on our upcoming website and outlets like Comixology. We are in talks with publishers for a physical version. In regards to the soundtrack and the ROMs, we may reuse the soundtrack in the future if we decide to fund a new game ourselves. And the ROMs, we will try to partner with someone to make a video and a release. Thanks again, the Virtual Comics team. So they're not entirely giving up even now. They're just going a more conventional route and will release the comic in a virtual form, at least via their own website. I think at this point, you may as well just put them out online. Like, because if you put ROMs out for like a game that did not get released in the mid-90s, the community will pick it up. Genuinely, I wish them well. It's a very niche product. But to be honest, in the world of the internet, very niche products can find a home. It's, it actually surprises me that Kickstarter didn't work for them because I've seen some weird shit funded on Kickstarter in the past few years. Well, we're out of time now. I'm off to put sand in people's ice creams and we'll see you later. Bye-bye. What a bell end. I hate that. I mean, I am a person who uh, I don't like the beach. 
I I don't because I I hate sand. I, I and I will sound like Anakin. I was dragging on uh, Attack of the Clones earlier, but I and I am Anakin Skywalker here. I hate sand. Sand gets everywhere. I don't like going into the sea and then walking out and getting sand on my feet. Feels gross, and it gets worse when it dries. I Dominic Diamond being like, I'm going to go put sand in your ice cream. That's a real dick move, Dom. That might that might be the thing that's annoyed me the most that you've said. I do like the beach, and I do like walking on the beach. Uh, I don't like sand in food, but I find if you eat standing up on the beach and walking along, you're fine. It's when you get down to sand level that's when shit gets gritty. Just walk and eat. It's fine unless you're like trying to eat a three course meal. Just 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 walk and eat. Grab a sausage roll. It's easy. And this is why, and uh, I like, I'm going to use this because the Sonic the Comet, the podcast, lads, recently had the distinction between this. I don't like the beach. I like the seaside. I like the seaside where there's just rows of arcades and beach huts, and it's just pebbles, and I can just get my sand, and I can sit down by the sea, and I can eat food without fear of sand getting in there. But I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Ash, what did you make of it? I really like this episode. We've been a little down on some episodes recently, and this felt, despite the absence of a third challenge, and perhaps because that second feature was actually kind of fascinating, not only for how motion capture works, but the project it was discussing, this episode was a real uplift for me. The Bomberman challenge was a lot of fun, even though its kind of structure was a little unconventional, but... I guess I can kind of see why they did it that way if it was a case of making sure you had enough time and not wanting to do lots of retakes. The news was fun enough. The reviews, the reviews were good. We, we had some fun talking about the reviews and there were some great games in there and also Power Rangers, which was shit. And then we had that celebrity challenge, which really elevated the episode for me. It, it genuinely was lovely to have a celebrity challenge with good gameplay and good celebrities. Hmm. Alone in the Dark in the Consultation Zone. That was great. It was great to see a proper deep dive consultation tip again. And then, yeah, the Computer Graphics Expo London. Something very cool. And as exhibited by the difficulty I had in finding any reports from the show, something that probably wouldn't have appeared on our radar without that report. And yeah, this weird game to wrap it up. In fact, the low point of the episode was probably Dom and the sand in the ice cream bit at the end. Because it is just an unpleasant... <laughs> I'm sat here talking to you and I can feel what sand in the mouth feels like. It's making my mouth go clammy. I uh, I think you are higher on this episode than I am. Um, by quite some margin, I think it may be as well. Ooh, okay. While I like the Bomberman challenge, actually, I really like the Bomberman challenge. And having the visual of the golden Bomberman there was so much fun. And I really enjoyed the review section. Uh, and then I really enjoyed our celebrity challenge as well. But it's, I, I'm finding these final parts of the show just... It, the show grinds to a halt. And it's because they are, they are changing a show that's been recorded and trying to edit it into something that it's not. And it, there's this weird disconnect and the feel, it's also disjointed. And I, after the Celebrate Challenge, I'm not mastering it. The Consultation Zone's okay, but they don't like it, so they don't put the effort in. The feature, and then they've got two features at the end. But it just, because the show's not structured to have the two features at the end, it doesn't really work. And it's sort of very busy and a bit, and like, yeah, disjointed is the word I will use to describe it. So I end off the show feeling on a down note, despite the fact that I was on such a high at the start. I feel like the shows are now going on a, a curve where it's going down, unless the show has been specifically designed to be that way. 
so I am I am down on this episode more than you. I didn't hate the episode, but I am like low eighties. Uh, if, if I'm anything else, and the reason I'm in low eighties is because I enjoyed the Bomberman and uh, and Del Wilkson and Marcus Bagwell so much. Sometimes now, when I, I look back at what Dominic says in our interview about this show, and now you know we're watching series four as it is, he I think he's right. Like the production of it has fallen apart, and like you know he blames himself. I don't think it's his fault. Just they've changed their minds on what they want the show to be, and that's completely fine. Problem is they've got footage that they've now got to use to try and make that work. This is like a packed lunch for a school trip. You've got your sandwiches. You've got your bag of hula hoops. You've got your penguin or your club bar, depending on which side of the club penguin war you fall. Yes, I did just watch a show last night on the chocolate biscuit wars. It was very interesting. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you got an apple as well. Maybe you got double dessert in there. And it's been packed, but it's not been packed tightly. It was put in too big an ice cream tub. And so... It's rattled around a bit. The sandwiches have got squashed. Maybe it got a bit warm and the club has got a bit melty and the hula hoops have been crunched up by that rogue apple again. You've still got all these tasty ingredients. And the thing is, it doesn't matter if they've been squashed or crunched a bit or even if they're a bit melty. They're still going to taste good. But because it's not in the form it's meant to be, it's not quite as satisfying. Like Uh, all of the elements in this show are actually pretty good. Mm Mm-hmm but they've all been a bit squashed, a bit melty, or they got sand in them because you've gone to Western Supermare. Yeah, that's exactly... I think that that's pretty much it. And, like, it's, it was funny as well because we were, like, talking about those last two features and I was thinking, of like, yeah, man, this wasn't that great an episode. Then I went back and I was like, but it started with Bomberman and I really enjoyed that Bomberman challenge and I really enjoyed the reviews. So, yeah, like, it is... I, I didn't hate it and I've I said 80s, but I think I might actually go down into the, into the set. But I'm going 79% is where I'm at for this episode. I'm at 85, so I think it's one of the few times when we've actually divided across a number line. Yeah, it is, But not by much. We've had broader divides than, I think, five or six before. In fact, I think seven was our highest difference. Yeah. It's just 80 is on the other side. But yeah, I'm going to go 85. What I find remarkable about all of this, and we'll certainly find out a bit more about this when we get into the uh, the wrap-up, and I never thought I would say this going in, but it's my least favourite series of Games Master so far. Really? Yeah, I've been, I enjoyed Series 3 more than I've enjoyed Series 4. But I think that is going to do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. You can find us on social media channels. We're on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. Or if you want to chat with us in real time, if you want to talk with other people that listen to the podcast, other fans of gaming, retro gaming, and pop culture in general, you can join us over on our Under Consultation Discord, where there's a really, really lovely bunch of people. We've got other streams. We're kind of building a streaming podcast family over there. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's a warm, fuzzy, lovely place. And the reaction to your news over the weekend was delightful. We've got arts and craft projects going on. We had other people that were kind of all up in the air about CM Punk coming back and stuff like that. It's been a really, really nice place. The world may be opening up a bit, but our under-consultation Discord is still a fair shelter from the storm. It's, it's a place that I've very much missed. My last week at work that I've had has been just so hectically busy, and I've just done nothing but work like almost every hour of the day, that I haven't really had a chance to check in on the under-consultation Discord, and I've bloody missed it, actually. I really, really have missed sort of just going out there and, and hanging out with people. So 
Click the links in the video description though. Come and join us. And you can also back this show monetarily over on patreon.com forward slash under console pod where you get access to UCP Extra, our monthly show that we do, which is this show format, but about other 90s TV shows. Uh, recently, you will have heard our Raggy Dolls episode that we will have done. And at the £5 level, you get next week's show one week early and ad free. And at the £10 level, you get a little extra. Ash, what do you get? At the £10 level, you get a Patreon-exclusive mug filled with Patreon-exclusive badges, stickers, retro sweeties, retro Power Rangers trading cards. They will not kill you, probably. And £5 off our first under-consultation T-shirt, which can be bought along with other mugs, badges and stickers at our website, underconsultation.com. And a shout-out to those £10 backers, Xanderthal, William, Simon, Sean, Sarah, Robert, Richard, Rich, Nick, Misha, Maddie Clark, Kevin, Jamie, Gordon, David Palmer, David Fisher, Darkside73, Colin, Cliff, and Adam D. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days' time for another episode of Under Consultation. Take care, everyone. Good night. 